This is an ABC podcast. On the 10th of April, French voters go to the polls to elect their new president. And while it's predicted that Emmanuel Macron will win a second term in the Elysee Palace, two right-wing candidates are attracting almost 30% of the vote. Hello, I'm Annabelle Quince and this is Rear Vision, the program that gives the historical context for today's events. Next week, we profile Emmanuel Macron, but today we focus on the extreme right in France and their links with the Vichy government. That's the French government that collaborated with the Nazis during World War II. From 1940 to 1944, Vichy was the seat of the xenophobic and anti-Semitic regime led by Marshal Philippe Pétain. Far-right candidate Eric Zemmour maintains that Vichy sought to protect French Jews by facilitating the deportation of foreign-born Jews instead, an argument counter to modern historiography. The two right-wing candidates are Marine Le Pen, who leads the National Front, or the National Rally, as it is now known, and Eric Zemmour, a right-wing author and commentator. It's Zemmour who's raised the spectre of the Vichy government in this campaign, vigorously defending its role in the war and in the deportation of French and foreign Jews. So why are 30% of the French electorate attracted to these two right-wing candidates? And why is the role of Vichy still being debated 70 years on? To understand these current debates, we need to go back to France before World War II and the divisions within France during the Depression of the 1930s. France was intensely divided after the Depression of 1929. The living standards went down, great many social and economic grievances arose, the Communist Party became very large, authoritarian right-wing movements and parties also became large, claiming that they alone could save France from communism. My name is Robert Paxton. I'm retired as a professor of history at Columbia University. My main scholarly field was Vichy France and France under the German occupation from 1940 to 1944. There was an election in May 1936, which went heavily to the left. And for the first time in French history, a socialist and a Jew named Léon Blum became prime minister of France. And the conservatives went absolutely ballistic. They were just absolutely horrified and terrified. And actually, Blum said he wasn't going to try to introduce socialism. He was simply going to try to deal with the Depression and get the country back to work. He had some very modest reforms. The 40-hour week was one of them. He increased the basic minimum wage. But sections of the far right simply thought that the time had come to take action and, and set up an authoritarian government. And so there was this very deep split. Well, they were violently opposed and there were fights in the streets. My name is Nana Maya, and I'm a researcher at the Center for European Studies of Sciences Po and the National Center of Scientific Research. There's part of the extreme right that had never even accepted the republic. So even less would it accept a socialist, communist government at the head of France. So these were very violent years, the 30s. And the other characteristic of this extreme right, which made the, the debate even harsher, is it was very deeply anti-Semitic. And uh, it was against a socialist like Leon Blum. 
was a Jew. So these were very, very hard years and very conflicting years just before World War II. World War II began in September 1939. In May 1940, Germany invaded France, and within six weeks, the French military was defeated. It was a catastrophic defeat, and immediately, blame was directed at the socialists and the Jews. When France was defeated, then everyone was looking for a scapegoat, and naturally, conservatives and moderate conservatives all turned to the popular front and said, that's what lost the war for us. Leon Blum and his reforms kept us from rearming and it lowered our patriotism and it lost the war. And so there was a strong, strong reaction against the left. The armistice granted to France by Germany divided France between the occupied North and the so-called independent South. The armistice was supposed to give the French some things to be pleased about. The Germans were actually rather worried that the French might actually move to North Africa and continue the struggle because the French fleet hadn't been defeated and much of the air force was still available. So they tried to make the armistice palatable. France would be divided into two zones, occupied zone with German army in present which was all of the the northern third and then a strip down the Atlantic coast all the way to the Spanish frontier. And that left a southern or southeastern area, which was not occupied, where the French were going to be able to run things for themselves. The man who stepped forward to lead this new French government was Philippe Pétain. Marshal Pétain was the senior military man in France, commanding officer from World War I, the last one still alive, a man of enormous prestige, stepped forward to set up a new government, which would be authoritarian and which would be would not be weak like the parliamentary republic and which would punish the people who had been leading France since 1936 and who had been defeated. And so they set up the, what was called the French state. It was not the republic anymore. And instead of liberty, equality, and fraternity, they had the new motto of family, work, and fatherland. They couldn't use Paris as their capital because Paris was occupied. So they chose as a capital a town in the southern hills, Vichy, and they set up this sort of makeshift government with Marshal Pétain as head of state, the head of an authoritarian government without elections, without free labour unions, without a strong left. Within weeks of coming to office, the Vichy government enacted a series of Jewish status laws that excluded Jews from public life and later confiscated their businesses. Jean-Yves Camus is a political scientist associated with the Centre for the Analysis of the Radical Right. Well, it's still discussed whether Pétain was really an anti-Semite or not. At that time, the Catholic Church and the overwhelming majority of the population believed that the Jews did not belong to the countries they lived in. They were seen as a minority of people who were always trying to subvert the nation state. So Pétain was not the most anti-Semitic of the politicians in the Third Republic. But what is really striking is the fact that Pétain became head of the government on 18 July 1940. And on 3rd 
of October 1940, the status of the Jews was enacted. So that was very quick to discriminate against the Jews. And in fact, I believe that the decision to discriminate against the Jews was taken before the start of the war, at least by those nationalistic, xenophobic movements on the far right, who held the Jews accountable for everything that went wrong within the country, including the victory of the left in 1936. And of course, at that time, the topic of immigration was on the agenda, because in the late 1920s and in the 1930s, many Jews came from all over Europe, from Poland, from the Baltic states, from Russia, of course, from the Ukraine, and from Nazi Germany and Austria starting in 1933, and they moved to France, and there was a huge campaign against this kind of immigration. The French conservatives who dominated the new government at Vichy were determined to root out what they regarded as the influences of the Popular Front, the influence of Léon Blum, the influence of Jews who were seen as supporting the left. And so France had its own anti-Semitic program, which owed nothing to German pressure. The Jewish statute of October 1940, which set up quotas, removed Jews from the government functions, limited their economic role and so forth, was only the first of a series of measures reducing Jews in the professions and then in the summer of 41, uh, confiscating their businesses. This was done entirely without German input. It was simply an expression of the blame attached to the Popular Front and the theory that the Jews had been the source of French decline. As the war progressed and Germany required first labour and then the systematic extermination of Jews, what role did the Vichy government play in the deportation of both foreign and French Jews? This is the way France sees itself a nation with glories to celebrate. Yet even its president, Francois Mitterrand, is infected by a scandal that has festered in the body politic for half a century. A time of national humiliation, when France and its government not only collaborated with its Nazi conquerors, but were accomplices. The Vichy government participated in arresting and expelling Jews. Hitler began to deport the Jews of Germany, and he began to want to deport the Jews of the occupied countries. And this dovetailed perfectly with Vichy's desire to get rid of these immigrants who had come in in the 30s. And so the Vichy government volunteered to help round up, bring from the southern zone, the unoccupied zone, the foreign Jews who had taken refuge down there. They did the, the actual arresting and transport. When the deportations began, the, the French rounded up foreign Jews and turned them over to the Germans from an area where there were no German troops. Annette Muller, a Jew, was a child of nine in Paris when they came for her in 1942. Her family was herded into cattle trucks like this one and shipped off to French holding camps, where it was French men and women who separated Annette and her brother from their mother. Even the occupying Germans were surprised by the enthusiasm with which French police in two days rounded up 12,884 Jews in a Paris velodrome. Most were deported to Nazi death camps. They tried to buy off the Germans with the foreign Jews, but that wasn't enough. And so bit by bit, French citizens were taken. 
all of those anti-Semitic measures I talked about at the beginning, which were purely, purely French in their origin, limiting the number of Jews in the professions, the medical profession, the legal profession, the universities, and so forth. These applied to French Jews. These measures of discrimination applied to French Jews who were weakened and who lost their jobs. And then when the deportations began in 1942, these people often had no resources and the French government helped deport the French citizens also. Something like 24,000 out of the 75,000 Jews who were deported from France were citizens. It's true that a significant number of people protected the Jews, helped them go to Spain, go to Switzerland, that's the reason why many survived. But on the other hand, it was still a minority. I mean, the Catholic Church, for example, stood silent for at least one and a half or two years before really saying, okay, this is not acceptable. Once again, the majority of people simply did not care. I remember that when my father-in-law came back to his native city in 1945, he found people in his apartment. His father died in the Nazi camps and he survived. But when he came back to his former apartment, he found neighbors, he found people in the place. And he was totally unable to reclaim the place and to have this, those people out of his place because the French justice simply did not care. This is Rear Vision, the program that puts the context back into current events, and I'm Annabelle Quince. In this program, we're tracing the story of the extreme right in France and the two right-wing candidates, Marine Le Pen and Eric Zemmour, who are currently polling nearly 30% in the upcoming presidential elections. The Second World War ended in 1945 with the defeat of Germany. Immediately, the Vichy government found itself on the wrong side of history, and Philippe Pétain and other collaborators were put on trial. When there was the victory, the end of the war, there was the trial of the Maréchal Pétain, and his supporters tried to exonerate him of any responsibility, and that's when emerged a theory, the theory of the sword and the shield with the idea that uh, actually he saved France, Maréchal Pétain. He was almost complementary of what did the General de Gaulle. General de Gaulle resisted. That was the sword. And uh, the Maréchal Pétain protected the French during these times. That was the shield. And what was developed at the time of his trial to try and give a better image of France and collaboration. And that's what... Eric Zemmour has exhumated, all the historians will tell you it is absolutely and utterly false. We put many collaborationists on trial, but the first amnesty was in 1949, and by 1951, there were only a handful of collaborationists who were still in jail. And by 1953, only maybe three or five of them were still in jail, but all the others were free to move and free to get back into politics. At the end of the war, most French distanced themselves from the far right and those who collaborated. But by the 1960s, when France was facing the prospect of losing its colonies in North Africa, especially Algeria, the far right once again emerged. The World War II deeply delegitimized 
most components of the far right, especially those who had collaborated, who had been friendly with the German occupation of the ideas of Nazism. And then it's true that with the process of decolonization that was going to lead to the independence of Algeria in 1962, part of these far right started to be vocal again because they couldn't accept, they couldn't swallow the idea of losing the French Algeria. Then you'll have the 60s, the period of May 68 social movements, and there were there are going to be very strong battles between the far rights and the leftists. The slogan, France for the French, epitomizes the front style. The words seem respectable, but what they mean is foreigners out. In the 1930s, the chief victims of racism were French Jews. Now, the main target is North Africans. And then what's going to really allow for the rebirth of the far right in France, it's a movement called Ordre Nouveau. But Ordre Nouveau, they're going to call Jean-Marie Le Pen to try to federate all the components of the far right to reinsert it in the parliamentary game. And the National Front is created in 1972, and Jean-Marie Le Pen takes the lead. Le Pen for president, they chanted. We've launched the final battle against Mitterrand, and we're going to win, says the neo-fascist leader Jean-Marie Le Pen, who warns his audience that a united Europe would allow a flood of so-called undesirable immigrants into the country. For 10 years, they have absolutely no success. But then, in the 80s, and in a way in reaction against the victory of the left, 1981, there's a backlash, and the movement, the Front National, starts having an electoral audience, and Jean-Marie Le Pen starts making good scores. And that's the movement we know today, which has been taken over by his daughter and rebaptized the National Rally, but that's part of a more general process of reinserting the far right in the parliamentary game. And today, as you said in the beginning, if you add the voting intentions for Marine Le Pen, the daughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen at the head of the National Rally, Eric Zemmour at the head of his new party, Reconquest, and a souverainist, a smaller candidate, Dupont-Aignan, you get around one third of the voting intentions. Why do you think France has seen this increase in support for the sort of nationalist right over the last 20, 30 years? What's been the sort of driving force behind it? It's not specific to France. France is a country where the National Front was one of the the first of these parties, but you have had all over Europe at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s, you've got what we call today populist radical rights populist because they're against the mainstream parties. They say they defend the people against the elite, but they are also radical rights. They are nativist, they are anti-immigrant, they're xenophobic, and they are authoritarian. And you have seen these movements developing all over Europe since the 90s. Why? You have several causes. Some are structural and other more short-term. The long-term factors, it's globalization. And with the people who feel they are the losers of globalization, people who are less skilled, who are afraid of the opening of borders, who are against the European Union because they have the feeling, and that's what these rights say, that it's a threat, a threat for their jobs, a threat for the identity of France, 
threat for sovereign states. And these radical rights say they defend the losers of globalization that the mainstream parties do not. And you see that new divide appearing as soon as the vote on the Treaty of Maastricht in 1992. For the first time, instead of having the good old left-right cleavage that goes back to the French Revolution, you see that the center parties of the left and of the right are pro-Europe, while the two extremes, on the extreme left and the extreme right, are against it for very different reasons. On the extreme left, they're against Europe because they say it's the Europe of big business and of capitalism and of neoliberalism. But on the far right, it's because they are afraid of immigrants. They are defending the nation state. They hate Europe because they say it's the open border to the invasion of immigrants. And that new cleavage explains the rise of these far rights in their refusal of opening borders in their refusal of Europe and in their going back to a golden age where France, mythic France, had no immigrants. France of the little villages and of the little churches. And that's what Eric Zemmour standing for. Far-right French television commentator Eric Zemmour has confirmed he's running for president against Emmanuel Macron. So how Eric Zemmour got into such an extraordinary position running for the position of the 26th president of France is quite a source of endless debate. My name is Nabila Ramdani. I'm a French-Algerian journalist and commentator. I think he's been allowed to take part in the race because France today is massively divided. The public faith in its increasingly corrupt politicians and fragmented party system is at rock bottom. In my view, that allowed the emergence of a figure like Eric Zemmour. Zemmour's background is in right-wing opinion journalism. He got his start at Le, Le Quotidien de Paris, and then he mostly featured on the small screen, primarily on the Fox-like CS News Channel, where he played the part of a professional, depressive, agonizing over the trajectory of, of the modern world. And he is arguably the most skilled proponent of historical revisionism in France today. He launched his candidacy to become the 26th president of France in late 2021, and he used a mix of nostalgia and searing provocation in his language. And he presents himself as a General de Gaulle-style figure who can save France from decades of immigration and liberalism. And Zemmour constantly plays on the image of a mythical France, a clean, beautiful France full of Gallic icons from Joan of Arc to Edith Piaf. And his discourse is straight out of the Nazi playbook. He claims, for example, that France is being submerged by immigrants from Muslim countries. Yet he traces his own heritage to a Berber family in what is now the Muslim-majority country of Algeria. He's full of paradoxes as well. He identifies as Jewish, yet arguably his most despicable deceit was his false theory that the World War II era, French Vichy regime, did not collaborate with the Nazis to perpetrate the Holocaust. And instead, he had portrayed the Vichy government's head, Marshal Philippe Pétain, as someone who had protected French Jews. But again, 
75,000 Jews were rounded up by French officials and sent to Nazi concentration camps. The other key right-wing candidate is Marine Le Pen, who took over the presidency of the National Front from her father in 2011. While she is seen to be more moderate than her father, she remains anti-Europe and anti-immigration. Marine Le Pen has never been closer to the French presidency. Riding the wave of populism and nationalism across Europe. Other people have shown us the way, like the British, who have chosen freedom with Brexit. She launched her campaign railing against globalisation and radical Islam. Marine Le Pen finally expelled her father from the party and the, one of the dividing lines was anti-Semitism. She condemned several times his anti-Semitic puns, his saying that the gas chambers were a minor detail in the history of World War II. So her idea was our principal enemy, it's Islamic fundamentalism. We have nothing against Jews. She even said several times that she was the shield for Jews, women, people who were possible victims of Islamic fundamentalism and gays, of course. So she said, we defend the values of the Republic and I'm not at all on the line of my father. And that was what has been called in French, dédiabolisation. You could translate the de-demonization strategy saying we are not racist, we are not anti-Semitic, we are defending the democratic values against the threat of Islamic fundamentalism. And in a way, that's very different. She is far less radical on that line than far less assimilationist than an Eric Zemmour. And she's not exactly on the same political line. The political line of Marine Le Pen is neither left nor right. We, the nationalist right. While Eric Zemmour is more on the line of the alliance of all the rights, from the very far right to the center right. And it's not quite the same position. And in a way, Eric Zemmour is at the same time a threat and an advantage for Marine Le Pen. A threat because he is drawing some of the voters of Marine Le Pen who are the most radical, who consider that she's far too soft and who don't like her de-demonization strategy. But in the meantime, he is so radical, he is so violent that he makes her appear more palatable. So it's a complicated situation, uh, the rivalry between Eric Zemmour and Marine Le Pen. What is your sense, just in terms of where the election is likely to go, are we likely to see someone from the extreme right getting closer to the presidency this time? And are we ever likely to see one actually gain the presidency? I certainly think that a candidate from the far right will end up in, in the second round of the presidential election most likely Marine Le Pen of the national rally. That's what the polls are suggesting at the moment. She's well ahead of her opponent, Eric Zemmour. I don't think that Marine Le Pen will manage to win the presidency simply because even though her bigoted ideas about foreign nationals or immigration or indeed French nationals from foreign backgrounds are appealing to a large section of French society, she remains someone with no specific agenda, no specific vision for France. And crucially, she's economically illiterate. And in order to be electable, you have to have a sound economic policy for France to basically make sure that people have the basics. 
And for that reason, I think I don't think she has any chance of becoming president of France until she addresses that. Having said that, it can't be ruled out that in the future, a far-right candidate indeed becomes a president of France. If France doesn't change radically by becoming a more inclusive society and a fairer society, then we have every chance to see a far-right candidate eventually becoming president of France. Nabila Remdani, French-Algerian journalist and commentator. My other guests, Professor Robert Paxton, author of Vichy France, Old Guard and New Order, 1940-1944. Jean-Yves Camus, political scientist from the Centre for the Analysis of the Radical Right. And Nonna Meyer, researcher at the Centre for European Studies and the National Centre for Scientific Research. The sound engineer is Tim Jenkins. I'm Annabelle Quince, and this is Rear Vision on Radio National. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.